Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello. As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with the greatest gift imaginable. Free beer. Thanks to our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to get eight exclusive craft beers from around the world for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com slash party. That's B-W-E-R, the number five, the number two, dot com slash party. I'm sure you'll have figured it out, but it's best to be clear. And cover just £4.95 for the postage. On top of that, political party listeners get two extra free beers, so that's a total of ten free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries the earth has to offer, and they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver you a case with a different theme. Previous themes have included Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, California, Finland and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that they don't hold you to ransom, there's no lock-in and you can leave at any time. Your first box will be sent to you the very next day. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case also includes the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme of the box and the individual beers. Plus, you also receive a tasty snack just to top it all off. The box I got has been a godsend to me these last couple of weeks. Some of the beers are incredible. They sent me one called the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Porter, which was unlike anything I'd ever tasted, and a Mango IPA. I mean, I've never, tried, I've never tried beer like it. Um, and it, it, you can tailor it to your taste, basically. If you don't like dark beers, you choose the light plan. And obviously, if you like light beers, you choose the light one. It's so easy, even I figured it out. Just go to www.beer52.com party to get your first case of eight beers for free. And don't forget, political party customers get an extra two unmissable beers for free. That's beer52.com party. Hello and welcome to the Political Party Podcast. I hope you're managing to stay safe, stay well, uh, stay optimistic and positive, whatever situation you're in. Keep washing your hands, of course. Keep following the government advice. For the latest advice, go to gov.uk.coronavirus, that's gov.uk, because of my Nottingham accent. I realise it sounds like it should be spelled guv.uk, but it's not. It's gov.uk slash coronavirus. Today's guest couldn't be more timely. It's Mariana Spring, and she's the BBC specialist reporter covering disinformation and social media. And this is absolutely fascinating, because I think at this point, we've all had something during this crisis that is a piece of misinformation. Uh, And there is a difference between misinformation and disinformation. We do clarify that uh, during the interview. But I think we've all seen something 
whether it's been on WhatsApp or some other form of social media that hasn't been true, that's been shared, and some of us have shared it with the best of intentions, but we talk about that. What are the things that make us share things most? What role do our emotions and personal biases play in what we choose to share and what we don't? How do you spot stuff that's fake? It's just absolutely fascinating conversation. Um, don't forget, you can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com with any comments or reflections on this or any of the other interviews um, that I've done. And please... Let me know where you listen, because I think particularly at a time like this, it's nice to know. And, I mean, obviously, a lot of people are just going to be listening at home, but I don't know. You might be sat in your favourite chair, drinking your favourite glass of red wine, or uh, sat on the floor eating a dairy milk, or whatever. You know, just two examples off the top of my head, which probably do reflect my own personal behaviour. Um, but also suggest guests, because some of the guests that I've booked uh, previously and in the coming weeks have been uh, through suggestions. Uh, Mike Hearn got in touch. Uh, he says he listens in his work van delivering windscreens and other glazing for buses, coaches and railway trains around the West Country, South Coast and South Wales, which are a heck of a catchment area, Mike. Um, uh, he says he has an early start. He leaves home, he leaves home at half four in the morning. Um, Mike, that is, uh, that is a heck of a start, mate. So uh, hopefully as you're listening to this somewhere in the West Country, on the South Coast or the South of Wales, you're managing to stay safe. And uh, at least it's a little bit lighter in the mornings now for you. Um, a couple of people, Robin Stafford and Ian Thomas, Alex Maple, have all been in touch with some fantastic guest suggestions as well. I don't want to kind of su- tell you who people are suggesting in case I can't then get them on. Um, but suffice to say... Uh, for at least getting in touch and suggesting them. I thought they deserved a name check. Um, so, And by all means, recommend yourself. Uh, a lot of very interesting people listen to this show. Um, so don't be uh, shy in putting yourself forward. Uh, email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, on to uh, the main business of the show with Mariana Spring. And given her job title, um, I began by asking her if this was the busiest she'd ever been. I am incredibly busy. I thought that the election was busy, but this has has topped it off because there's just so much stuff circulating on social media that is misleading or untrue or unhelpful. I don't know if you have the stats on it, but surely everyone with a phone must have, during this crisis, received a piece of disinformation. I expect they probably have. Um, It's really hard. It's much easier to track Facebook posts, say, but it's really hard for us to track messages on WhatsApp or by email because they don't, we can't analyze the metrics in the same way. So we're quite reliant on audience members and other people sending stuff to us. And the number of friends, uh, relatives, and also people from the audience who have sent me a range of different things is just bonkers. And even calling up, I've been talking to lots of local uh, BBC radio stations. And they'll bring out examples and I'll think, oh, I haven't seen that one yet. There's just so much stuff going around, really. It's, it's, it's remarkable. And because everyone is on their phones all the time and using social media to keep in touch with people, it means it is a super fertile place for rumours to spread. And are these rumours on the whole being spread with good intentions, that someone started a piece of disinformation, but that the people sharing it think it's real and they're trying to help? Yeah, the vast majority of stuff we're seeing is people to help their friends or their family and the instinct at the moment is to forward something on or to copy and paste it because it might be useful just in case it helps someone out and actually what I've been trying to say to people is it's much less helpful to share something misleading 
um, or that it could panic someone when you don't know if it's true, then not sharing it in the first place, you're much better off not sending it on to someone. Um, but I mean, there are also people who are, there, there are quite a few funny examples that people have created, obviously, to have a bit of a laugh, um, different types of misinformation, and that people have taken seriously. So there was a post going around yesterday uh, and over the weekend about alcohol being banned. I don't know if you've seen No, I haven't seen that. Um, and it was a fake screenshot of a government press release. And it was not true. Um, as we know, off licenses are, are still very much open. Uh, however, it was spreading like wildfire on Facebook. I had loads of emails about it. Um, and it seemed like it started as a bit of a joke, but people then genuinely believed it. Um, a lot of the other jokey stuff, I don't know if you've heard the lasagna voice note. Oh, is that the one where the, the, it's going to be cooked in Wembley Stadium? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I haven't actually um, heard it. That I've just one, heard that of one, it. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Um, that one is quite obviously not real, but it does start by taking the mick out of the things that we're seeing, which are, it begins by saying something like, my friend's sister told me, and that is the trademark, I guess, for all of the misinformation that we're seeing at the moment. And we started to see it during the general election, but we're seeing it even more now, that posts and messages are attributed to supposed real people that someone knows so a friend of a friend or a friend's cousin cousin's uncle's neighbor or someone who's a doctor or someone who works in a hospital and we're more inclined to believe it because it feels like it's come from someone real but actually if we try and investigate where it's come from we soon realize that it hasn't come from who people are saying it has that's so true it's always a friend of mine one of the things that also they seem to contain is it's someone close to them so there's that kind of trust issue so it's a friend of mine and then either has parliament as a client i saw written down which i don't know how many people have parliament as a client or know someone who works either in the military or at number 10 like it's so it's it's proximity to the person sending it but it's also it has to have that veil of status to it on some level yeah, definitely. So a lot of the stuff we're seeing over the weekend, for instance, there were um, various posts going around that were being attributed to Lewisham Hospital in South London or one to Moseley Hospital in Birmingham, um, saying that Lewisham was um, overrun and that they were having to deny critical care to patients and things like that. And Lewisham came out and said, this isn't true. This is not the case. This is not what's happening right now. That's not to say it won't happen in the weeks to come, but it's definitely not happening now um and so um a lot of this debunking and investigating information involves going to hospitals and universities and there was a rumor about stanford's hospital stanford's hospital that that went really viral um a couple of weeks ago um, and they'll have to come out and say no this wasn't us i don't know where this has come from but because it sounds like it's from a hospital that you know exists and you can google it or a university you know exists and you can google it you, you tend to be more likely to believe it and often it will be someone who works at those hospitals so a consultant who works at this hospital or a, a professor works at Johns Hopkins University in America and because it's not attributed officially to the institution but to someone who works in it you might be inclined to think oh they've probably said this sort of off the record it's not on their website but it might be true and in almost all of the instances we've investigated it's not true. And do those rumours themselves have to be then vaguely believable that oh they're going to start doing a particular thing this re weekend rather than the lasagna one which is clearly <laughs> ludicrous these yeah. things, if they're believable, then surely it's slightly more dangerous. 
Yeah, 100%. And it's actually the believable stuff that we've noticed go really viral. So um, we tracked back a post a couple of weeks ago that was a list of medical advice, which people have probably seen in some shape or form because it has been absolutely everywhere. And some of the tips in it are useful and very reasonable, like remember to wash your hands or keep yourself hydrated. And then other elements are not true. So things like uh, UV light and sun kills the virus. Um, and you should gargle these different substances and you will not get coronavirus. All of these absolutes that we just have no scientific evidence to prove. And a lot of those posts have mutated and absorbed new bits of information. So that same medical uh, list of medical advice ended up also telling people that a Taiwanese experts and Japanese doctors recommended certain coughing tests in the mornings to check whether you have coronavirus. And that's really dangerous because these tests are not legitimate. And if you're doing them and you think, oh, I'm not ill, I don't, I don't have coronavirus, and you actually might, and you might be infectious. So the risk of misdiagnosis misdiagnosis when it comes to these quite believable lists of medical advice is, is quite high, really. Uh, quite a common one seems to be that if you sip warm water every 15 minutes or something like that, I mean, it, that's the, the Japanese doctor one, actually. Is that the uh, one? In, in that same post, the Japanese doctor one is, is about sipping, sipping warm water every 15 minutes, I think it is. Might be but 20. that seems so obviously, to, so obviously not believable. <laughs> but I suppose people still seem to believe this on quite a grand scale. Yeah, I think as well, um, it's crucial that we don't have lots of answers about the virus at the moment. We know some things, but there are a lot of unanswered questions. And so people end up turning to social media and other places to try and find answers to those questions because they're worried, because they want to look out for their loved ones and for themselves. And so it's quite easy to, to be fooled in many ways by these tips and, and preventative measures because they're not going to do you any harm, some of them. So you just think, oh, well, maybe if it will help as well try it when actually the risk is is that a lot of this advice is quite benign and won't do anything but things to do with misdiagnosis or um, messages that can get people in a real panic about stuff are actually not helpful and can cause more damage than than good really and how do people because uh, with social media and things if people have posted a, a, a message or they thought I mean I've got good friends of mine have forwarded me on the message about oh you know a friend of mine client works at number 10 has said London's beyond lockdown the police the army going on the streets I mean when that turns out not to be the case that's embarrassing for the people who shared it I mean do you know if people are then less likely to take it down because of a sense of hurt pride or they'll find a way to suggest that actually I was right all along I, I think it's actually often that that second point that people um, a lot of these messages are very vague so they won't say exactly when so there's one I've just been looking into actually which says by the weekend basically London will be in total shutdown and by the weekend this will have happened and you don't know what weekend they're talking about are they talking about last weekend are they talking about three weekends time so it could end up being true at some point they're vague enough that it's easy to pass them on and people often preface like very frequently I get sent emails where someone says I received this email I thought it looked a bit dodgy I've sent it to you so that you can have a look at it and the message that their friend or family members written at the top is hi thought this might be helpful don't know if it's true don't know if it's any good but have a read anyways so it's quite easy to caveat it so you say oh yes. it might be true it might not have a look anyways and I think the message is do not forward things in case they're helpful because they are probably not helpful and you're not going to find out an important bit of breaking news on whatsapp you're going to find out an important bit of breaking news or a, a key update about vaccines or about treatments or about what's going on through the nhs or the world health organization 
politician or the government. But there is no way that your aunt on WhatsApp is going to tell you these things before these trusted sources do. But, it is, but people are so prone to believing, aren't they? Is that because, you know, would this always be the case? You know, every generation has its forms of disinformation and misinformation. And we live in a social media era, so they're going around on WhatsApp. But do you think we're any more likely to believe them now than we were, say, 100 years ago? I think it's very easy for things to circulate more widely and more quickly than than they could before. And for that reason, there's just a lot more stuff and we're receiving a lot more stuff. And that means that people, there's more chance people will believe things because they're actually receiving them and coming across them. Um, I think that things like copy and paste or apps like WhatsApp that allow you to forward things make you feel as though you're receiving information from someone you trust. So because your aunt or your grandfather sends you a message on WhatsApp, because it's come directly from them, you might be inclined to think, oh, well, it must have come from someone that they know and that they trust. And I think that that format lends itself to to people being more likely to believe it. Um, I also think that it's a lot to do with the number of people that are using social media and social media literacy, really. Um, so I, I was I was saying, giving this example to someone earlier, but I remember when I was in about year eight, we always used to get these emails that were like, they were quite scary. They'd be like, if you don't forward on this chain email, Mickey Mouse will come into your house at night and, and terrify you in your bed and things <laughs> like that. And I remember when I first got them thinking, oh my gosh, this is so scary. I need to forward it to all my MSN contacts. And actually... It's the same thing happening now, but the generation that was exposed to that at the time is quite savvy to, to this kind of stuff. I don't know many people my age who are inclined to believe a message from a really vague looking source. Um, whereas I feel like a lot of the people using Facebook and who are forwarding things on WhatsApp are a little bit older and didn't necessarily grow up with this means of communication and as a consequence are more likely to pass things on or maybe to believe them and not to know those hallmark signs it's a bit like scams as well i think people have come to know if you get an email that says please put in all your bank details a lot of people now realize that that's not that's not legitimate and not good but it's just about getting everyone used to this kind of misinformation which is different in a way um but just a new form and 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 a new type that we need to be spotting and calling out and not sharing it's interesting you mentioned the example of the, the chain email and having to forward it on to however many friends to make sure that you weren't terrified by Mickey Mouse or whatever. Because the, 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 the house style that I remember, and maybe I'm a bit older, is that it was to pass it on for good fortune. That if you pass this on, oh, Bill Gates and Microsoft have said that if you pass on this email to 10 people, everyone's going to get a free PC or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Does that slight change show that actually fear of avoiding something is a far bigger motivator than the desire to say get a prize yeah definitely i i think that people are people are keen to just i think it's it's that whole mentality that it won't harm me to forward it on or it won't hurt to send it on so i may as well yeah, just, just in, in case, case something bad actually does happen or just in case something and it's that whole just in case mentality that's at the heart of this really because most people think oh you know this information could be useful my relative lives in london i want to help them they say that there's going to be this massive lockdown and army on the streets it could be useful they know that and i'll be annoyed if i didn't tell them so i may as well send it on to them yeah. but actually it's about spotting the the 
different elements of a post that make it unlikely to be true like the source often if it has dodgy fonts and a mishmash of stuff or capital letters you start to think well this looks a bit odd or it says it's come from an english nurse say but actually all of the words that we'd spell with s are spelt with a z in in an american way and you think this probably isn't from a nurse in newcastle um and it's about just being if you pause for a second and are a bit savvy to those telltale signs then you're much less likely to share something that's misleading or not helpful and also everyone can be sort of detectives in their own homes really you can google things you can dig into things you can message someone and say where do you get that from so who is making these things is it russia is it british pranksters is it young lads just having a laugh and then they all get shared or is it a mixture of all these different things I think it's probably a mixture of all these different things. I think there's a tendency often with, with when we talk about misinformation or disinformation um, to look towards foreign interference and Russia um, and Iran and other countries like that. Um, but actually, and, and 100% there is, there is misinformation that will come from those places and come from uh, deliberate attempts to, to spread misleading information or to, so, to, to be divisive. Um, but the vast majority of misinformation that I'm seeing and that we're coming across genuinely seems to come from people who want to be helpful um, or um, who kind of have taken it upon themselves to become a bit of a, a, a blogger or a journalist or a doctor and to dish out advice. And with social media, it's much easier to create a bit of a sort of online persona and to, to come up with advice and, and to, to we, you know, we all become our own sort of doctors and journalists and, and everything else. Um, so I think that, and then obviously there are people who want to have a laugh like the lasagna guy um, and those those kinds of voice notes and messages are clearly done as a, to have a laugh and not not with any kind of mal, malice really um, but uh, we for instance traced back one this one post this medical list that had gone really viral and it was very hard to find patient zero so we had to use Facebook to track back this post um, and we found a Facebook user who we think lives in Singapore who posted it at the start of February this this a bit of this list of medical advice but obviously it's really hard it might have been being shared on whatsapp or on other messaging apps and email that we can't access or know um but from that point it then it then merged with or it was then merged with some more information by a a user called glenn who's based in india and he shared it in a load of facebook groups for um catholics living in india and from that point it then was picked up by our super spreader who is a man an 84 year old man living here in the uk who posted this same post, but adding again a few elements that went really, really viral, had over 300,000 shares, um, was picked up by loads of people before he amended it because it did contain misleading medical advice. Um, and then from that point, we just saw it go bonkers. It was on a Ghanaian television presenter's Instagram, it was on a uh, US preacher's Facebook page, um, a US, an- another US actor's Instagram page. It was just absolutely everywhere. Um, on all of the Facebook groups, etc. Um, and so it's very hard to find the people who I'd, I'd love to find someone who's mutated, for instance, one of these introductions, because that same post has been attributed to Stanford, to St. George's Hospital in London, to an uncle, the master's degree living in China. But it's very hard to find the person who changed it to that. And everyone just seems to have been sent it by someone. Um, and I, I'm keener to believe that they haven't been sent it by a Russian bot, but rather that just there's a, it's like Chinese whispers and people misunderstand something or change something and all of a sudden it becomes something totally different. 
So the government apparently has taken action. They've got a unit or a team in the cabinet office. What can they or social media companies do when the technology allows you just to share something and then it's out there? Is there a way that social media companies can filter or delay posts to stop the spread of disinformation and misinformation? I think the key really is is identifying posts and taking them down as quickly as possible but obviously there is so much stuff that's a really big task for social media companies and for any government that becomes involved in that um another thing is also the issue of copy and paste and because something spreads like wildfire across facebook and whatsapp etc whatsapp for instance they can't see what people are sharing uh, very easily um, because it's encrypted in a way that facebook isn't and on facebook if you know, the, the post that um, the 84-year-old I mentioned made, that was that was edited and checked by fact-checkers who work with Facebook and as a consequence was changed. But by that point, it had already been shared 300,000 times. Um, so I think it's a combination of um, just acting as quickly as you can to remove content, to spot certain phrases and certain bits of posts that seem to be being reshared and just removing that content. We flagged all of the posts that we had found we were tracing back this misleading uh, medical list, uh, medical advice list to Facebook, and they immediately removed everything. Um, but obviously, you know, we can't be flagging every single post all the time to Facebook. That's not our job really either. Um, and as journalists, I think it's crucial actually being able to just explain the anatomy of how this works. So telling people about the telltale signs or showing them how a post mutates and spreads and evolves is crucial to people, people taking it in their own hands, which is, is, is an important element of this really people that have to also be savvy to this because just the tech companies or just the tech companies working with the government probably isn't enough there just aren't enough people to track everything and what what could the government do are they just going to try and uh, talk to social media companies or does the government have a responsibility to do a public information campaign about disinformation so the government seemed to be um according to them, uh, working with this unit that are, uh, there's a unit that are working with social media companies and they're looking into very similar stuff to the kinds of things I'm looking into and they're working to very quickly debunk things and then they will, they will tweet, for instance, if a bit of misinformation is relating to n- number 10 and the government. So there were these fake texts going around last week. Um, uh, we all got texts about the new guidelines at varying times. Um, yeah. But then there were lots of people receiving second texts or um, rather seeing screenshots of people who had received second text. And these screenshots were doctored to show that people were receiving, you're going to be fined £30 because you went out of your house three times today and stuff like that. Some of it seemed jokey. Some of it actually seemed like a legitimate scam where they were trying to get people to click on links to pay a fine to the government and stuff like that. Um, And I spoke to one of the Instagram users who had edited one of these screenshots and he said, oh, I did it for a bit of a laugh. It teaches people about misinformation and what you shouldn't believe. Um, But the scam stuff is really bad. Obviously, there there will be people who will have clicked on those links and and could have been scammed in some way. And the government put a tweet out and they said, um, we've only sent one single text around. If you've received any more or seen any more, those are not from the government. Um, And so I think the government are working to to look into and to debunk particularly those rumours around stuff relating to them. So anything to do with lockdown or to do with new guidelines or to do with government policy or to do with the kind of official official line on anything. Um, but again, it's, it's just so much stuff. And we've got a team at the BBC who, who look into this. Um, and I can imagine that the government team probably works in a fairly similar way. We flag things up, we get tips sent into us and we try and very quickly turn 
stories around and and investigate stuff so it go on our live page or we'll do we'll go on various outlets and and talk about it um but i mean i it's, it's a mammoth task for anyone including the government um and uh, they they sent across a press release which included various examples they'd looked into um and those examples are um were, were things that we looked at last week but it's just so quick it, it's moving so quickly uh, there are ca- occasionally you hit the jackpot and you debunk and investigate something like the post we we tracked back which actually just seems to keep mutating in different forms so it's very easy to say to people look here's the kind of debunk of the original and any other versions of this you see are wrong but then often there are just these new ones emerging like the one i said about lewisham hospital like the text like one saying that people shouldn't even be going outside to get bread this week um and and those are just newly newly sprung uh texts and messages really and it's very difficult to keep on top of it all so as well as wanting to share these things out of a sense of public duty or protecting loved ones or just as an FYI, as you say, if you've got a relative who lives in a place like London that's more disproportionately affected, um, you understand the motivation for sharing it. How important are our own biases at a time like this, political or otherwise? I think they're, I think they're very important. Um, I think on one hand, people generally are just so absorbed in the current situation that perhaps they're less likely to scrutinise and and criticize a specific political view or it's different to brexit say it's different to covering the election people are just concerned about staying alive and keeping their loved ones alive and keeping everyone healthy but then i think on the other side of things there's a lot of mistrust to do with official sources and that's something that we've noticed growing over a number of years particularly since trump was elected in america um there's a lot of mistrust to do with the government or uh, health bodies or the BBC or journalists and at times like this that is incredibly unhelpful because people then turn to places where information is misleading and isn't direct and it's a time where for instance um, what the government is saying in terms of just official policy is often stuff that the BBC will echo because yeah the, the rules are we all should stay inside and there seems to be scientific, scientific evidence to suggest that that's a helpful thing to do um, so I think that I think that bias plays a role and that it particularly plays a role in people trusting stuff that isn't from official places um, but it's a different kind of political bias to the one we were seeing in the election where it felt very tribal i think it's less tribal than it was but are there any tribal elements i mean when you think about boris johnson getting coronavirus or uh, apparently now dominic cummings mm-hmm. and people's reaction to the phrase phrases like herd immunity there, there'd been a sense mm-hmm. perhaps in some circles that uh, well, the British government wasn't taking this seriously enough, and that's because they're Tories and they don't mind if vulnerable people die. Um, yeah, that seems to have been out there a little bit. Yeah, I think I think I think it has been. I mean, I think I'm probably used to it in such a kind of ridiculously high volume that it seems much less so than than, for instance, during the election. I'm used to it just all the time, seeing the two incredibly polarized sides, and I think it's still there when it comes to you know, criticism, criticism about um, provisions for the NHS and PPE, it definitely, it definitely is there. Um, but I think that a lot of that criticism is focused on, on real concerns. Um, it's not generally so hypothetical. And I, I, I just don't think that, I think that there's just, a, there's a lot of appetite for information about stuff and wanting everyone to be well protected and well looked after. And the criticism derives from people feeling as though that's not the case. But I think it's very different to the kind of genre of, bias and polarization that that we saw at the end of last year for instance 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What are the other rules about posts that do better than others? So um, a friend of a friend, um, changing the post to be a local hospital rather than one that's, say, in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, what about photos and videos? Do they make posts travel quicker? And often they do things like memes are uh, often quite popular. Um, but I actually think at the moment that it's a lot of the text posts and messages that are that people are believing more because they seem a bit more authoritative. Mm. If there's a list of advice that supposedly come from someone, you're just more likely to believe it than than a than a picture or a meme. Um, but I think one crucial element that also seems to to be a part of a lot of these viral posts um, is the emotional element, which yes. is that um, stuff that goes viral is stuff that makes us angry or upset or frightened or particularly happy. And actually, real genuine information is often quite boring. <laughs> so it doesn't travel necessarily in the same way. Um, and for instance, there was a story around last week that said that NHS workers were being mugged for their uh, identity badges. Um, so people could take those identity badges to the supermarket and NHS people or get some of the privileges that and um, that have been offered to NHS staff for all the work they're doing. Um, and that being shared like wildfire because people were incredibly angry. They were like, this is awful. This shouldn't be happening. This is terrible. Um, and it turned out that that wasn't true. We spoke to the Metropolitan Police and they said, no, we don't have any, we, we have no evidence of this happening whatsoever. But it was an example of something where when people are feeling particularly angry or worried or upset, they're just far more likely to, to share things. It's similarly, there have been instances of, people talking about kind of people dying or people who've been uh, who've been really seriously affected by coronavirus and and um one of those instances was written up by by a uk tabloid and it just wasn't true it, it the, the person hadn't really died um oh they hadn't died of coronavirus um so when people are particularly emotional and wanting to express that emotion in some way there is a real tendency to want to to let that out by sharing a post and saying oh isn't this terrible or oh this made me so happy there was a post going around last week that was about all of the happy things that we can take from the coronavirus and quite a few of those posts were the, the points it was making were, were quite misleading really but we so want what, something what, happy what, like, to hold what, on to but what sort of points were, was the happy one making so for instance a lot of stuff to do with oh there's a um, a lot of stuff to do with cures and with <sighs> vaccines is often not correct um so things saying oh they've managed to they've managed to sort out a vaccine in malaysia they've found a vaccine or they found a vaccine in the philippines um and they're just not things that are true and, and a lot of countries are working incredibly hard to try and come up with a vaccine and to come up with different 
cures and, and ways of tackling this disease. But it's, you know, you're going to hear about a vaccine from all the important places. You are not going to hear about a vaccine through a happy, positive Facebook post or a WhatsApp post. And then there are other things that actually made me laugh when you mentioned the Bill Gates email, where you said, yeah. oh, it'll be an email where it says Bill Gates from Microsoft. There was a post going around last week, which was a kind of... Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like a sort of philosophical, happy post. Like an inspirational quote. Yeah, like an inspirational quote type thing um, that ended up being attributed to Bill Gates, but it wasn't from Bill Gates. And not that it does any harm particularly, you know, it's just some sort of the positives out of all of this and what we can all learn from it and reflections we should have. But it just wasn't from Bill Gates. And it was just being shared all over the place by quite a lot of prominent figures and Facebook pages and Instagram accounts saying, oh, look, well, this is what Bill Gates says. So important that we all take stock and pause. And it just, it just, it just, that just wasn't who it's from. But it's amazing how, how stuff that has any kind of emotional impact on us is likely to spread because we just, want to feel and we we want to share how we feel with everyone how does uh, disinformation particularly at a time like this vary if it does at all between different nations or different types of regimes like in in western liberal societies are, are we more likely to see certain types than say in north korea or russia yeah i i think i think so um it's interesting, actually, the difference in stuff that we see online. I think that there are certain cultures, for instance, where um, non-traditional, uh, where there are some medical kind of uh, medical advice or myths, uh, maybe I should say, um, that are, are just more accepted within their culture. There are different things that people recommend, herbal remedies, all sorts. And I think in places like that, there's a tendency for misinformation that's of kind of dubious health, the dubious health type of misinformation to spread, maybe more so than it, it would here. Um, when it comes to regimes and state-controlled media, etc., I think that a lot of the countries that um, where the media is state-controlled um, and where certain views are being propagated by the media, there is a tendency for conspiracy theories perhaps to spread a little more than they do here because those conspiracy theories are often being said by those in charge um for instance in iran there have been examples of of important political figures saying you know propagating conspiracy theories that just aren't true um so i think that in those kinds of places the conspiracy theory stuff catches on in a way that it perhaps doesn't quite so much here um but that you know i think universally um the medical myths and tips are are spreading everywhere and then the stuff that's unique to each country and lockdown and how they're handling handling it are spreading within within the countries themselves are we more prone i, I mean I, I kind of know the answer to it i think but are we more prone to believe and share disinformation and misinformation during crises oh 100 percent because we're worried and we're anxious and we're wanting to help people and we're looking for information and we're looking for answers. And a lot of these Facebook posts and messages and WhatsApps, they just fulfill all of that, that, that criteria really. They're, they're a way of us feeling as though we're helping people, feeling as though we're finding out some answers. Um, and I mean, I think that uh, you notice it in the aftermath of terrorist attacks, for instance, there's always a lot of, a lot of misinformation about what's happened, whether mm. there's still, you know, an active attack taking place, who's been affected, how many people have been affected, etc. And I think that is exactly the same 
kind of thing as to what's happening now, but this is obviously happening for a prolonged period where people are panicked and they're trying to help one another and they're trying to get information out there, but that information isn't necessarily particularly helpful um, or right. And therefore it spells out of control and is spread from person to person. And it often takes until it often we have to take a step back in order to really understand what's true and what's not. The day after a terror attack, we know much more about it than when we're in the sort of heart of it, really. And as this crisis unfolds, however long it lasts, and it looks like it's going to be months and months and months before life returns to normal, does the disinformation evolve with it? So people then do get smart to maybe the, the scams, even older people that say, right, well, you know, my granddaughter had a word with me about that, so I'm not going to fall for that again. And then a new style pops up and they fall for that instead. Yeah, I, I think I think that um, people. I mean, I mean, there are two different parts to that question, really. The first one is that the kind of misinformation we're seeing has actually evolved. At the beginning, a month ago, it was much more conspiracy theory based. Then it became much more about diagnosing yourself, and at the moment, it's much more focused on still the health tips and and misleading advice like that, but a lot more focused on government guidelines and what we should be doing and whether we should be going outside or not going outside. And there was a ridiculous one about helicopters spraying chemicals to try and anyway, that's a whole nother kind of word. But but as, as we, as we go through different things, the misinformation reflects what we're going through, whether it's the lockdown or whether it's the point where some people were starting to get ill or whether it's the bit where we all first heard about coronavirus but didn't really realise what a massive big deal it was going to be. Um, But then I think in terms of people becoming savvy to sharing it, I do think, for instance, that over the coming weeks, people will start to realise that something that's attributed to a bit of a fishy source like a friend of a friend probably isn't worth forwarding on. And that's not to say that there won't then be new types of misinformation that that spread but you do reach a limit as to how much something can how many different forms something can take really it can have a dodgy introduction or it can be a doctored screenshot or it can be um, a voice note we've seen actually quite a lot of voice notes which i think is interesting so in the evolution of misinformation coronavirus misinformation we had this dodgy list of advice that was going around on whatsapp and facebook and then last weekend we came across a a voice note which was supposedly from a lady who had a friend who had a colleague who worked at um, a hospital in Gran Canaria um, and it's a lady with a South African accent reading the list of advice and it's very similar to the post that we'd seen it includes a lot of the the helpful and also misleading advice um, and it's interesting because I think a voice note is even more believable than a message that's been forwarded to you by a friend because it's a real human being telling you this advice in a genuinely quite caring way this lady says I really hope you all keep safe hope you're all, all right and I just think that so you you do see that kind of metamorphosis and that evolution and perhaps we will keep seeing that but there is a limit to the number of forms it can take. And it's, it's the voice memo thing, because people think, well, I can, I can imagine someone writing down a fib, but surely no one would actually record themselves doing that. No, no. And I think like a lot of the funny ones, the lasagna one, for example, is a voice note where people are talking um, because it's quite, like, quite funny and it makes it a lot funnier if you hear it as a voice note. And you're, the thing about a voice note is that you, you're waiting to hear what happens in a way that you're not with a Facebook post because you can scroll through really quickly and read yes. it. Um, but I think the voice notes that we've come across, for instance, this, this uh, Grand Canaria uh, voice note, I don't think that the woman, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think that the woman reading the voice note was the 
source of that misinformation. I think she had seen a Facebook post and decided to record it as a voice note and send it to a friend. I think it's right. probably most likely what happened. So I haven't found any incidents of misinformation where it seems to have begun with a voice note. The voice note seemed to be the kind of latest mutation of something that had already been going around and people think it's helpful to send a voice note and to share it with their friends. And at times of crisis, whether it's public health or terror or economic or, or any other, does disinformation and misinformation follow a, a kind of set trajectory? Does it always start with a conspiracy theory and then morph? Are there different phases that are always present? Um, I think it depends on it depends on what's happened, really. If you compare what's happening now to a terror attack, say, when a terror attack happens, you kind of have the initial reports about it breaking. Then you'll have a lot of speculation about who's done it, what's happened, how many people have been affected. Um, then you'll have the speculation about who's been who's been affected or who's missing. And sometimes there are people who claim that certain people are missing or who were involved who weren't. Yes. Um, and I think that's a that's a different kind of cycle to the one that we're currently experiencing because this is a this is a sort of virus that affects everybody really um and everybody is no one is exempt from it in a way that even with a terror attack you know the people who aren't there are in some way distanced from it so i think that the the way that misinformation mutates and spreads is in in many ways dependent on what's going on um but i think that the the ways that it spreads on social media the method of spread i guess so copy and paste or whatsapp etc um is 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 largely quite similar. So during the election, for instance, I mean, not that that's a crisis at all at this scale, but um, <laughs> during the election, we saw um, there was this, that story about the little boy in the hospital in Leeds um, and a post went round saying that uh, it was a lie. He wasn't sleeping on the floor. Yes. Um, and that spread everywhere. That went all over Facebook. It went onto Twitter. It went onto WhatsApp, etc. cetera. Um, and it was copy and paste it. And it's the same method of spread with the same kind of introduction. My friend's a nurse at this hospital and she says. Um, so that the way that things spread and the way that we use social media evolves with time, but but generally we see similar similar things popping up here and there. But the actual kind of order that all of this happens in does depend on what's going on. So with the boy in Leeds, because I remember that story, what was the truth? It was true. He was sleeping on the floor of this hospital. Yeah. Um, but someone who, in fact, the BBC tracked down the first person to share this post who said that she had been sent it by message and shared it on her Facebook. And that seemed to be how it started. And we still don't know who shared it with her on message. I mean, it was highly likely just someone sort of looking to stir up a bit of trouble. But again, we have no idea. Um, and it was very similar method of people copying and pasting the same thing across. But I guess it's a different kind of motivation. It's, it's driven much more by anger or by kind of passion and, and being really engaged in politics. Um, it's not driven by fear like this is. And I just think fear is the most powerful driver of misinformation because it is the thing that makes us all want to help one another and keep ourselves safe and share things with each other. Is there a motivation as well to be seen to be the person who knows what's going on? Definitely, definitely. I think people want to be in the know and they want to be able to help people. And in the age of social media, it's very easy to tell people what you think all the time. Yeah. And so there's a tendency to, to want to do that and to want to be helpful and to be like, oh, I know that the Sainsbury's down the road has got six little rolls. 
uh, let me help you. Like people like to feel powerful in some ways. And at the moment, people don't actually probably feel very powerful because they're having to sit at home and not go about their lives in the normal ways that they would. Um, and so I think that there is an element of that. And a lot of the people we spoke to actually who, um, for instance, the 84-year-old uh, who had shared uh, this super viral version of this, this list of medical advice, he had... Um, he he very much loved using Facebook. He loved um, all the comments and the likes that he got. And for a lot of people, that is also a bit of a motivation. People like people like posting things that are popular and that people appreciate and that people will comment on and like and share. And and that can drive a lot of it as well. And this is obviously a fertile time because, it, as you say, we have the means to share things quickly. The fear aspect is there globally, not just nationally. What about disinformation and misinformation in non-crisis times? Um, I mean, it's still out there, but how does it differ? I, I think predominantly it's just, there's just much less of it. There's much less of people. Um, I think there's probably slightly more conspiracy theory often, um, slightly more scepticism and focus on politics and on leaders maybe than, although there is some now, but, but maybe more so than there is at the moment. Um, I think there's less of a tendency for things to catch on so quickly um we noticed kind of we we noticed during times again i guess an election is probably a good example of something that isn't a crisis but just where a lot of people are very engaged in one topic and at the moment we have that a lot of people are very incredibly engaged in a single topic and therefore everyone is talking about the same thing i've never had a time like you know a month ago getting on the train where everyone was talking about the same thing and you could walk past someone in the street and they were probably talking about coronavirus <laughs> and during the election there was less of that but more so than in normal times and I think in normal times we just aren't all talking about the same thing all the time so there's less of a tendency for stuff to catch on and spread in that way but that's not to say you know misinformation does spread all the time in normal times uh, on whatsapp on facebook etc but just a uh, uh, less of it and probably less of this kind of copy and paste and attributing things to friends of friends than we're seeing at the moment so even in, in non-crisis times those attributes are still there that people share it not out of a sense of malice necessarily they're just passing information on that they think is being helpful. yeah i think so i mean there is also there is also stuff that is shared with a sense of malice because it's politically motivated or because um there's disruption you know we've obviously seen the examples of what happened during the u.s election with russia um there have been instances of similar kinds of foreign interference happening um there are people who are just wanting to kind of stir up trouble and and cause difficulty and that's not so innocent i actually think that the misinformation i'm looking at looking at the moment is some of the most innocent misinformation in a way that i've ever seen in that it really genuinely not not the misinformation itself and where it comes from because a lot of that's misleading and inaccurate and not helpful but the people spreading it are genuinely i think trying to help people and and i'd say that sort of that, that accounts for the bulk of it. You have also got people trying to scam people and profit from all of the panic and the fear, for instance, trying to sell certain products on Facebook um, or the scam I mentioned, the government text. Um, but generally, the majority of it does just seem to be people trying to help one another. And I've been messaging a lot of the people who've been sharing posts and nearly everyone I would message would say, oh, I forwarded this on, forwarded this on. I thought it would be helpful. Oh, I've realized, is it not helpful? Is it fake? Uh, or even um, I've, been, I've been messaging a lot of people who run local Facebook groups because I think that's another thing is that when something is shared in a community forum, a community WhatsApp group or a local Facebook group, people are far more inclined to believe it than something that's disinformation on a national level. So if you're shared something in your 
in your group in, in Morpeth, say, in the Northeast, you're far more likely to think, oh, this is real, um, than you are if something's just a general, generic, this is happening in the UK. And I've spoken to a lot of the, admin, the admins who run these groups, and they say, oh, we're constantly having to deal with people posting and posting, trying to share stuff um, that, is, that is misleading, but because they just think it's helpful. <laughs> and I've always used the terms disinformation and misinformation interchangeably. Am I wrong to have been doing that? Sorry, you just paused there. Oh, sorry. Um, I've always used the phrases disinformation and and misinformation just interchangeably to throw the same word. Am I I wrong to have been doing that? Um, I don't think you're wrong to. I think that a lot of people, a lot of people do that. I mean, you are technically wrong to. (laughs) But but, um, a lot of people do that because um, they don't know the difference between the two. Um, Misinformation is what we're seeing a lot of at the moment, which is stuff that's misleading, but it's not being... Spread with the intention of misleading people necessarily. Um, disinformation is information that is being deliberately spread to mislead people, um, and with a kind of with a, with a bit more malice. But often it's quite hard to tell. As, as I've said, a lot of the people spreading the misinformation are not doing it out of malice, They're trying to help people. But that doesn't mean that the person at the very source of it also intended to help people. And it, it's it's often hard to differentiate between the two. So often just saying misinformation slash disinformation is. It's, it's quite good way of putting it, really. Uh, Mariana, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been absolutely thank superb. You. And um, good luck for the weeks and months ahead. You're going to be very busy. Thank you. <laughs> I know. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Well, there you go. Mariana Spring, who must have her hands full at the moment. There must be so much going round. And um, don't forget, we're only seeing the bits that people forward on to us. Other people like Mariana and the government and social media companies are seeing so many different weird and wonderful versions. Um, obviously, there's something mildly entertaining, probably, see the most ludicrous ones. But just like the one where, and if you're not familiar with it, there was a voice note going around um, where someone was saying they were going to bake a huge lasagna inside Wembley Stadium. And we all laugh at that. But in the back of your mind, you think, I bet someone has fallen for that. And I bet. And I, I make no moral judgment on those that do. Because there's part of me that thinks, you know what, on the right day, I could probably I could probably fall for that. So, anyway, I will... Uh, and thank you for those of you who got in touch to say... And I think this is right. Um, a mixture of stuff. That basically, some guests around the crisis and what's going on, but also some guests around other stories too. So I've got some great guests lined up in the coming days and weeks. Please stay safe. Always over on the side of caution. Follow the official advice. Know when to spot now the misinformation and disinformation that may come your way. And I'll see you soon. Oh, and given that a lot of us are at home trying to occupy ourselves, would leaving an iTunes review for this show be the worst way to spend your time? Now, I hear you. Maybe it's not the best way to spend your time, but I think we can all agree it almost certainly isn't the worst. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd be very grateful. See you soon. Ta-ra. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.